And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, from somewhere in the south, I believe, Raleigh right now. It's AJ Maletsko. How you doing, AJ? I'm good. I am in Raleigh, gearing up for Game 5 of this Central Division matchup tonight. Uh, actually, we had two days off, so I got to go home for two days. Oh, well, not quite two days. One night, 30 hours, and then uh, and then back back to the work today. Well, um, you are also now, in light of what's happening in the Islanders series, uh, a bit of an advanced scout for what the <laughs> Islanders might see in the semifinals, since they, if they do pull this off, they'll get the winner of Tampa and Carolina, which could end tonight uh, with Tampa up 3-1, and we'll get to that at the tail end of the show, but obviously we're going to lead with uh, what happened last night, Islanders-Bruins in Boston, Game 5. Islanders won 5-4, and it would have been a wacko game even without what happened after the game, which was kind of has kind of been dominating the, the discourse about it for the last 24 hours, which is Bruce Cassidy's uh, rant to the officials, how that the Bruins should flop more, uh, they're biased for the Islanders, whatever it may be. The New York Saints, not the New York Islanders, because uh, they don't get called for any penalties that the Bruins are also committing and get called for. It was all over the map. But um, ultimately, I think as we were kind of previewing before we turned on our our recording devices here for the show, um, you know, it's a tried and true coach move in the playoffs or even in the regular season to kind of deflect attention from some of your team's deficiencies by pointing the finger elsewhere at the other team for being dirty, at the officials for missing said dirty plays, at the league for not doing enough to to even things up or protect the Bruins' star players, whatever it may be. Um, after listening to that, AJ, did it call to mind anything for you, a coach that did that uh, on your behalf at an Olympics? Maybe it would have been a strange spot to do it, but um, <laughs> just is it, you know, as a player, um, have you experienced that, A, and B, more importantly, does do players appreciate that in the middle of, of a pretty heated series? So for me, I had a, my coach for the for both Olympics I played in. Ben Smith was a little bit of a old school Lou Lamorello type, where he hated the press. He hated the press. He hated <laughs> all that stuff. And you know, it used to he just wouldn't really talk to them. I mean, he did. He had to, right? I mean, that was that's part of his job. But he he didn't play those games from where we sat, um, he, he gave all the cliched answers. Um, and, you know, he's a New England guy too. So maybe he's of the Bill Belichick, uh, era too, or, or, uh, the school of Bill Belichick. Um, so, you know, I, now I've had other coaches who have said different things, tried different motivating tactics. Everybody's different. Every player's different. Uh, you know, and it goes back to one thing Barry Trotz said earlier this season, he said it before, but in terms of the way he treats his players, every player will be treated fairly, but not equally. And what that means is that everybody's motivated differently. So that's the same in this situation where uh, if you've got Bruce Cassidy going to the press or, you know, you look at Barry Trotz, he's never done something like this, but he'll go to the press sometimes and he'll call his team out. And he, 
will sort of hold him accountable. He'll definitely hold him accountable for a bad game or, you know, sometimes it's individual players, sometimes it's the whole team. And then other times, in my opinion, the team played equally as badly and he doesn't. So he's got his finger on the pulse of the team more often than not. He's with them. He's in the locker room. He's on the bench. Right. And we are, you and I are following this team closely, but we're not, we don't, we're not privy to all of that. So I, you know, to answer your question, I think that there are players that are motivated by that. I think that, um, if I look at if I look at what Bruce Cassidy said in full disclosure, as you know this, I was traveling last night back to Raleigh. I was watching the game as much as I could. I was watching the Wi-Fi was not very good, so um, I I did go back and listen to the um, post game press conference, of course. And to me, he sounded really ticked off. He sounded angry. He was frustrated. His team, his. Penalty kill was the second-ranked penalty kill in the league in the regular season, and they gave up three power play goals, which was, is sort of unheard of, especially against a Certainly team. for the Islanders' power play. Well, I was going to say, for a team that, that historically doesn't have a great power play. So, you know, I think that there was some frustration there. I am not surprised the league find him at all. I was a little – I don't know, and this is not going to be a popular viewpoint from the Islanders fans' perspective, so I apologize in advance. I didn't think it was quite as bad as I'd heard other coaches do. I mean, Bruce Cassidy is typically pretty polished, as is Barry Trotz, um, and I thought that he was mad, and, and he he did say the refs are, are good generally. He knows these guys. He likes them. He thought they had an off game. That's a fair assessment. I mean, I don't – you know, that's a fair argument, not necessarily about last night specifically, but broadcasters have bad games – I'm sure you never have a bad article, though, Arthur. All never, of your articles I've ever, ever written are all perfect. Players have bad games, right? So it happens. And, you know, and he did compliment the Islanders. And he said they're a well-coached team. And then, you know, he did say that they've written this narrative. That was a little bit weird. I don't really know where that was, like, going down sort of a weird rabbit hole there of, of Barry Trotz writing a narrative that they're the New York Saints. And I can't wait to see how many New York Saints jerseys and shirts there are in at um, in the Coliseum on Long Island tomorrow night. Uh, but it was, you know, it was an interesting tactic. And I, I'm sure part of it was gamesmanship, that chess match. But I think more of it was just he was pissed. Yeah. Yeah. He could tell. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think Bruce Cassidy and, and, I, and even, you know, you can try to read between the lines and the zooms. You know, Barry Trotz is part of the coaching fraternity in the NHL. He's been there for a long, long time. He knows every coach. You can usually tell when there's coaches that he's friendly with, that he has the utmost respect for. Um, you know, I think we can all think back to 2019-20 when he had a little bit of a feud with Peter Laviolette. Um, I'm sure that Todd Reardon, uh, who took over for him in Washington, he was not a huge fan of. But you can tell that he and Bruce Cassidy have respect for one another. Bruce Cassidy, like Barry Trotz, came up, paid his dues for a long time in the minors, um, came up through the ranks, had a crack at it uh, with Washington, and then come back with Boston and, you know, got them to the finals a couple of years ago and, and has certainly coached them. Uh, expertly the last few years. Uh, and he's also an emotional guy behind the bench, which Barry Trotz is not. And I think, you know, that that to me is part of the thing that is a little bit mystifying to me is that um, the Bruins are a veteran team. A lot of their guys have been through these situations a lot before. And, uh, you know, Barry Trotz is kind of the one, you know, at least a couple of years ago had a team that you know, he kind of called them fragile when he first came to the Islanders. They would blow leads, you know, as someone who was here for a long time. Uh, in the mid 2010s, they were a team that used to yap at the refs a lot, either from the coaching 
behind the bench or on the bench, and it, it cost them a lot. They had a bad, the Islanders had a bad reputation for for talking too much to the officials, and Barry Trotz came in and wiped that all away. And you can see on the bench if it's a bad penalty call, he might say something. Usually doesn't. I think you saw Bruce Cassidy talking a lot to the refs, and yeah, I think the frustration is what you lead with. Um, one for four on the penalty kill from a very good penalty kill for the Bruins. Tuka Rask gets pulled because seemingly he was hurt. Um, they're still unsure whether he's going to play tomorrow. Um, there's a lot going wrong. You know, Curtis Lazar left with an injury. They're already missing Brandon Carlo and Kevin Miller. Um, kind of the 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 sideshow part of it or the, the roster part of it, the things that aren't happening exactly on the ice, definitely tilting in the Islanders' favor. And they're kind of sitting back, you know, with a little smirk on their face, looking at, at seeing the Bruins melt down. Who would have thought when this series began that this would be the situation that these two teams would find themselves in? Well, I think what's, what's particularly surprising about it is that the experience that Boston yeah. has, right? And, and, you know, one of the question marks before the deadline was the depth and the secondary scoring for them. And they bring in Taylor Hall, who seemed to fix that in one, you know, glorious two-week span where he just kept scoring and scoring and scoring for the black and gold. Um, but, you know, it, it does look like they ha- – now they have some injuries on the back end with two penalty-killing defensemen, right? So that makes a difference for sure. Um, and and head injuries too, so you have no idea when they're going to be back. Um, but it is – it's interesting just to see the, the way this is turned. I mean, that's that's not the kind of game you expect these two teams to play. And certainly not the – Islanders jumping out to the big lead and then the Bruins trying to claw themselves back in. Right. If the roles were reversed, I could imagine that, right? But, um, and you know, it's similar to the series that I'm calling. It's, it was a 2-1 lightning win, 2-1 lightning win, 3-2 uh, overtime Carolina win, and then suddenly this 6-4 track meet, right, with eight goals scored in the second period where no one knew what was going on. And so you that's what playoff hockey is all about, though. You have to be able to win in different ways. You've got to be able to play from behind. You've got to be able to protect a lead. Um, and you know, I think that that's what bodes really well for the Islanders. I mean, if the stats are accurate, when you look at the way 44 to 19 shots on goal, and it certainly looked like that in terms of the way the ice was tilted, but you know, that's the fact that the Islanders could do that and 19 shots on goal and score five goals, you know, that's, that's not the way they usually play. So I think it bodes well. It's not what I would have predicted. It's not what I don't think anyone would have predicted, but again, how entertaining is this for for any for all these fans looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So now uh, tomorrow night, as you said, there'll be some old uh, lacrosse New York Saints gear after (laughs) Bruce Cassidy's comments. I have heard from a couple people um hopefully there'll be some people dressed as the pope for to to bless some of the new york saints 
I imagine that the the Islanders fans will pull out all the stops. There'll be nothing on the big board because it's a Lou Lamarillo coach team, and he will not get involved in this in any way, shape, or form. But I fully expect that twelve thousand or so fans that are there to to really give it to the Bruins and Bruce Cassidy in this game, which to me is also maybe you go on that rant before you go back home as opposed to going on the road to a really hostile place where you might get eliminated from the playoffs. Anyway, um, you know, I think one of the storylines or there's there's a couple of good storylines in this series. Um, one of them being Semyon Varlamov is out playing Tuka Rask. And I know that Rask is hurt. They're still not even sure if he's going to play game six. I would imagine that he's going to. But uh, but kind of the revival of Semyon Varlamov with 40 saves last night, and he's faced over 40 shots in in three of the four games that he's played in this series. In the series, and he's two and one in those games. And the one that he lost was was uh, the overtime Brad Marchand bad angle goal in Game Three, where he'd been lights out up to that point. Um, and that's not really Marchand or Marchand. Sorry, I (laughs) I I get confused. I think it's Marchand. that's a that's a storyline that we didn't think, you know, of the advantages the Islanders had going into the series. I don't think anybody thought they had one in net, but but Varlamov has kind of reclaimed, restaked his his claim on that position. Well, and made even more impressive by the fact that it looked like he had lost it to Sorokin, yeah. right? You know, when you take a – and there are stories of that too, right? And you look at, again, the series I'm doing right now, you've got Nadelkovich, a rookie goaltender, comes in. He plays the first series and he plays the first two games and he's four and four in the playoffs and, and played tremendously well. Morazic comes in his first game and he gets a win. Uh, he's now one and one. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen? You look back at the at the uh, Holtby's run with the Capitals. You look back at Matt Murray and, and Marc-Andre Fleury. Like you have there's some history here where there's a starting goalie who has to start on the bench um, and then come back in. But it's it's difficult for these guys, right? They want to play. They're competitive. They want to be out there. They want to be the guy. And especially if you're a goalie, that's the mentality of it. You want to have the team on your shoulders and take them to this deep run. So for Varlamov to have played the way he did in uh, Pittsburgh, which was good other than maybe one stinker in the first game, in the game three that he played. Um, And then, you know, then he gives up the tough goal, that overtime goal that you're talking about, tough one. And then he comes back and he, he he puts up these big numbers and his save percentage is huge. And he's getting a ton of work, too. Um, and you look at the the firepower of Boston. We can sit there and talk about how they're maybe overrated or whatever it may be. They have a lot of goal scorers on that team. And they've got that perfection line uh, that has solved them. They've gotten some pucks past him. But, you know, I think Tuka Rask, and again, I, I'm sure people know that I live in Boston, so I see all the press of, you know, Boston's really tough on Tuka Rask. And it's sort of crazy to me because I do think he's a great goalie. But he's had some epic meltdowns. And are, is it injury related? Is it mental? Is it just who knows? And they're never we'll never know until later. Um, but I think that, you know, for somebody, Jeremy Swayman is has been great, but he is a, certainly an unknown. Um, yeah. So I think for Varlamov, it's impressive. And that just gives the Islanders a sense of freedom. It gives them a sense of, you know, if we put up five goals, we're, we're going to win this, right? I mean, we got Varlamov back there who is just going to make these great saves. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be really good with rebounds. I think that's the biggest thing that takes pressure on the defense, that whole defensive unit in the D zone. Um, so I think that that's, a, that certainly bodes well for them moving forward. Um, but, you know, they need to help them out. They got to keep blocking shots and keep pucks to the outside and make sure that they're not asking too much of him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, you know, I, I, he obviously got beat four times, and uh, a, you know, a couple of them probably he'd want back the Kretschy goal uh, to make it five four. Kind of, he kind of pushed that one on, over the line himself. But uh, but his lateral movement has been really strong. 
Um, segwaying into another theme that I think a lot of people didn't think would be uh, something in the Islanders' favor is the deadline acquisitions. You know, you mentioned Taylor Hall, and he was really good for the Bruins after they got him, and it cost them very little. Um, the Islanders, to contrast it, got Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. They gave up a first-round pick. Neither of them made much of an impact in the 17 games they they played after the trade came, was uh, was completed, while Taylor Hall kind of drove the Bruins up the standings a little bit, gave them a really good second line. And here we are, five games in, about to be six games in, possibly the Islanders eliminating the Bruins. And Taylor Hall has been, you know, he's he's still got great speed. He did have that fight with Scott Mayfield. He had an empty net goal in game one. He set up a couple other goals. But he has kind of shown me, at least in this series, what he is, which is a very fast, skilled guy who doesn't like to get to the middle because it's rough in there. And Scott Mayfield has kind of been ragdolling him a bit when he does kind of get within the within the hash marks. And to contrast that with Paul Mary, who's basically playing Anders Lee's game, which is what the I think what Islander fans and what the Islanders organization hoped they were getting when they traded for him, parks himself in front of the net. He scored another power play goal right from the Anders Lee office, uh, two feet from Tuka Rask last night. Um, you know, he's been really effective in and around the net. I think uh, he's shown himself to be a, a better skater and a better checking forward than than maybe people thought because he's been on that line that's had to match up against Bergeron a lot this series. So this this series has kind of flipped that script quite a bit and uh, and really confirmed once again as we bow down to the genius of Lou Lamarillo that he knows what his team needs and it doesn't seem like it was Taylor Hall. You're yes, and I think that you know I was wary of Taylor Hall coming to the Islanders not for the reasons that you just talked about. More, I just thought he had had such a tough year up in Buffalo and tough trade over to Arizona. Like he bounced around so much. I thought his confidence was so far down. And then I thought I was proven wrong through the regular season when he was shot out of a cannon up in Boston. But to your point, he fizzled out a little bit and he's not providing the same offense that they expected of him that he did in the regular season. Um, You know, I think you look at what Lou has done and uh, JG Pajot came in last year and he was I feel like he was adored right away. Islanders fans just loved the way he played. And he could he did contribute more than Palmieri and Zajac have during the, their first couple games. But the Islanders were losing. They were in that epic losing streak at the end of the season that they then righted the ship going into the bubble playoff hockey in August. Um, but, I, you know, and then Pajot was amazing during the, that run. And I don't know how many goals he put up, but I don't know, eight, seven, eight to ten eight, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so he he put up so, and he played in all situations and he created a lot of energy for the team. And then you look now, and you know there was certainly some question marks to your point of when Paul Marion Zajac came in and what was Lou doing and or, what are they offering? Why is Paul Marion not playing with Barzell? And you know all these different things. But it's it does take these guys some time some time to adjust to the systems and and not just stop thinking out there. That sounds weird, but when you first come into a new team, especially a team that's as structured as the Islanders. There's a lot to learn, and every time you're there on the ice, they're thinking, right? And there's not a lot of practice in this COVID season. So every time they're on the ice, they, they're thinking, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Where are my teammates? And all of those, maybe it's just a split second longer, but they're taking that little extra time to make their decisions, and I think it affects them negatively. But then, of course, they adjust and come into the playoffs, and here they are. Um, and, you know, I think that net front, the hands, the that whole side of it with Paul Mary, that has been awesome. I think the lineup changes was really interesting move by Trotz last night, um, moving Nelson with uh, with those yeah. two guys and, you know, seeing what that would do. Just a, I mean, it's a pretty big change. It seems like it's not just flipping your, you know, 
second center with your third center, but it's a pretty big change considering how, um, you know, how many games they played that second line and played together with Nelson. So, and it certainly seemed to work, but, um, you know, I think that missing Anders Lee is a huge, uh, a huge hole in their lineup. And by the way, side note, great news that he's on the ice. He's traveling with the team. He was in Boston, obviously not coming back this year, but what a boost for, for the team to have him out there in that net. Actually, the video I saw, he's in the net front tipping shots. So it gives maybe a little oomph to them. Um, but, you know, I think that's a huge hole to fill. And that was a question mark in my mind. And I think that they've done a really good job of filling that, especially with Paul Mary. And we'd be remiss without mentioning Zajac, who we didn't didn't even start the playoffs. He was, he was uh, uh, kind of the 13th forward. Uh, came in when Oliver Wallstrom got hurt in Game 5 against Pittsburgh. Played really well in Game Six of that series the, in the closeout game, and he's not a guy that you notice a ton. But he's kind of like he's kind of like a, a you know a defensive defenseman. I think he he knows where he needs to be. He's not going to give you a whole lot skill wise, but if you don't notice him, that's probably the best thing about him. And uh, that's not an insult to him. <laughs> I think he's just filling that role really well. And you know, Wallstrom has been skating, and and Barry Trotz reiterated today that Wallstrom is day to day. I'm sure that there's an element of you don't lose your spot to injury. However, this is the playoffs and experience matters to Barry Trotz and Travis Zajac, not only his career experience, but I think his experience in this series, a very heavy physical series, um, is probably tilting things in his favor. So, uh, you know, he's been a a nice addition, a a quality bottom six guy, kind of what they thought they were getting and, and what they paid a little bit of an extra premium for at the deadline. Yeah, and and again, Lou looks like a, he looks brilliant for having brought him in too when Wallstrom went down and all these different things happened. But you know, I also I think that Barry Trotz he'll always say there's no momentum in playoffs from game to game. But but I don't I don't know that I agree with that, and I'm not sure down deep he does either. And maybe he wouldn't call it momentum, but when you've got a team that's in a rhythm and what they were able to accomplish last night in that crazy back and forth game, um, does he want to change it up? I, probably not. Does he want more goal scoring. I mean, they got five goals, right? <laughs> but, if they, you know, if they had won that game, one nothing or 2-1, then maybe the argument would be like, they really need Wallstrom. They need goal scoring. Now, right. I, don't get me wrong. I think he is a he is going to go back in the lineup at some point. Uh, but I do think that Zajac is proving himself and the experience playing in, uh, you know, playing back, whether you're in the enemy building or whether you're back at home, especially after a season without fans or limited fans, you know, it's a, it, these are high pressure situations and experience. There's no question that experience matters, uh, you know, and, and you look at the way that, that Zajac's been playing. He is a smart player. You say he does well when you don't notice him. By the way, that's what I used to say about the refs. If I don't notice them, they did a great job. So apparently, I don't know, I guess they didn't do a great job then. This playoffs, I've been noticing them a lot more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So by tomorrow night, um, the Islanders could have advanced to the semifinals. Are we calling it the semis? Are we calling it the final four? It's so weird to not have a conference situation anymore. Uh, And semifinals sound so... That like it doesn't sound like as big an accomplishment as conference final to me. So um, hopefully we'll come up with some, NBC AJ. See if you can work on them. Uh, I'll, I'll, maybe yeah, they can I'll, come up with I'll some some sort that, of branded yeah. situation <laughs> to make it sound more exciting than it is. Um, so they could be in by tomorrow night. Uh, they could know that they're playing the Lightning by tomorrow night. Uh, whenever that semifinal would start, a rematch in the bubble semifinals, conference finals, whatever you're going to call it from last year. And thankfully for us here at No Sleep Till Belmont, we have AJ who's been traveling back and forth between the Tampa and Raleigh to cover that series. Um, and, you know, do the Lightning look any different than they looked in the bubble last year? Or is it just they just kind of put the put the gas pedal to the floor and, and get going? Uh Yes, I I, would, I don't think they look different from last year. I actually would say the one thing they look different is they look calmer. They look there's no panic. There's no, um, you know, when they went down by two goals in the second period of Game Four, yeah, you know, and I'm down between the benches, so I can see it. There's very little frustration, um, and I think that's different. Uh, partly because they've now done it. So when you looked at their 2020 run. They had 2019 in the back of their head, right? They had that that sweep by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They had to sort of exercise those demons, and they did. Now, but that is still a recurring theme for them, right? You you hear them talk about it all the time. Well, back in 2019, because of course they set that record with being President's Trophy winner, and then just collapsed um, in epic fashion against Columbus. So I think that they have that chip on their shoulder still. Um, the thing about Tampa is they are just really good. And, you know, they didn't win the division. They actually came in third, which if you think is is bizarre, uh, then they knock off Florida. And now they come in against the divisional champs in Carolina, who is really impressive, too. By the way, they're, this is a very fast series. Um, and it's really coming down to special teams. And if you look at the last game that ended up as that track meet, that six to four game, um, Carolina actually in five on five play beat them four to three. And it was three power play goals. But if you mm-hmm. look at who Tampa puts out there. I mean, you have Kucherov, who hasn't played a single regular season game with his surgery in December. He returns to the playoffs at playoffs as if he has not missed a beat. Uh, so you get Kucherov out there, you got Stamkos out there, you've got Point in the middle, who's incredible in the bumper spot, and then you got Hedman out top. And you look at those four, who do you cover, right? And then on top of it all, you actually have Kalorn, who's his puck retrieval, all the stuff he does. It's just, it's really lethal. Um, and what Kucherov adds to it is very subtle. He's just smart. He, he, he does a different thing every time he's on the power play. So if the Islanders face Tampa Bay, stay out of the box because your penalty kill can be great, but they just have so many weapons in the way that they play. Um, And, you know, and I would argue actually about Carolina. If they meet Carolina, I mean, if Carolina has enough fight to win three in a row against Tampa, which is going to be a, that's a pretty big hill to climb. Um, But Carolina has a, has the third best penalty kill and they, they create a lot of offense off their penalty. They outchanced Nashville 
Nashville's, they outchance Nashville's power play when they are on their penalty kill. So they've got some weapons. They've got some injuries right now. They're hoping to get Nino Niederreiter back, and he adds some offense certainly to their lineup. So it, it's been a good matchup. But, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, certainly the Islanders are those pesky Isles, right? They can skate with anybody, but the, the, they'll have their hands full with either of these teams. But Tampa Bay is very, very good. Yeah, I feel like the Islanders, you know, they didn't, it wasn't quite this way last year in the bubble. They were, you know, they, they, were shot out of a Guinea Islanders shot out of a cannon to start their preliminary round. They really put Florida on their heels right from the start. Same with Washington, same with Philly, even though that series went seven games with Philly won three overtime games. And then they got, they had to fly from Toronto to Edmonton play the next day. They got pumped by the lightning in game one that kind of set them back. And then obviously the pivotal game was game two, uh, wouldn't Kucherov scored with whatever 7.7 seconds left in regulation to break a tie. And that kind of, you know, the Islanders weren't, weren't able to climb from that, up from that deficit of two nothing and then three one against the Lightning, even though game six, you know, Brock Nelson goes in on a breakaway in overtime. If he scores there, there's a game seven and who knows what can happen. So, you know, the 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 underlying numbers and the kind of the shot totals and everything and the skill level on paper says the Lightning have a big advantage. However, as we've seen, and if we're talking about the Islanders advancing past the Bruins, this is going to be two series in a row where on paper, in terms of data and roster and skill, the Islanders are the lesser team, and here they'll be moving on again. And I think when we kind of tie it back into the beginning of the conversation, Bruce Cassidy is pissed because his team has been better. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's a ridiculous thing to say if the Islanders are about to clinch. Um, and the Islanders, you know, of the games that were, that were kind of definitive games, probably game one for the Bruins, which was still 2-2 in the third, and game four for the Islanders, which they were very good in all the way through, Um it's been pretty even, but you know the Penguins felt like they deserved better fate in their series and a couple mistakes by their goalie. Bruins felt like this, they deserve a better fate to, than to be down three two and possibly getting eliminated. So the Islanders have this have this kind of like like you said pesky Isles. They just hang around and hang around and hang around. And even when they got they got you know they got drilled in the first ten minutes of Game Five and were only down one nothing. And that happened a couple other times against the Bruins so far. Um, when you have that mentality going into a series, especially one where the Islanders have been doing this now for a couple of years, do you think that's an advantage for them that they just nothing rattles them no matter who's on the other wearing the other jerseys or the power play or the best goalie in the world in Vasilevsky, all this stuff? It just is that the mindset that you have to bring? Yeah, and I, yes, I do think that. And, and I mean, don't you think some of it is their leadership group? They have this incredible core group of the Islanders that have been around and they They've been sort of in the trenches building this program. They were there before Barry Trotz. Then Barry Trotz comes in with this street cred because he had just won the cup with Washington and he had sort of, you know, reinvigorated um, Alex Ovechkin's game. So he's able to take another budding star. Well, I mean, Alex Ovechkin was maybe the tail end, but still you take this budding star in Matt Barzell and, and make his game a 300-foot game and make him play off the puck a little bit more. And just little subtle things in mindset, what Barry Trotz has done with this team and building this defensive zone structure, right? I mean, the year before Barry Trotz came, they, they were atrocious defensively. So, you know, they they have this, they do have this belief. And, and I think, and again, they have this underdog mentality, despite going to the Eastern Conference final last year and being right on the brink of knocking off the eventual, eventual cup champion Lightning. Uh, and, you know, as Barry Trotz said, that game six, that loss to the Lightning, that's, he's going to take that to his grave. Uh, you know, he was, he really thought they were going to do it. And that it believes the belief starts there with him and with Lou Lamorello and it trickles down to the whole team. So, um, but at the same time, 
how are they viewed by other people? I mean, you know, they're getting national attention for sure. You know, and you look at, again, I work at NBC, but I see it all the time. You see my colleagues talking about that, about them very impressed with, with a lot of what they've been able to do. And so, you know, they're starting to get, I think over the last two years, they've, they've gotten more and more respect. However, lightning have this confidence about them. So what's more, what's more powerful, right? This underdog, dog on a bone type of mentality that the Islanders have, or this sort of confidence and momentum that the the lightning play with because they are stacked, right? I mean, you look at their depth and their star players on that team, and that's what's going to be interesting. And in playoff hockey, anything can happen. So, you know, you know, if, if these two meet each other, the Islanders, I mean, they, they, they're going to be, they're going to feel good. You know, I think that they're going to feel good going in against these guys. They can skate without their speed. The Islanders have proven they can win any different way. They can play the track meet neutral zone transition game. They can lock it down defensively. So, you know, I, I look forward to whoever it, whoever they may match up against, but it'll be um, it'll be a good a good round. So also just want to double back to these meetings that you guys are having at NBC about the Islanders. Clearly, that's where the league and NBC are conspiring to get the Islanders as far as possible thus confirming Bruce Cassidy's feeling about the bias. And no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if there are any memos that you can share with us, that would be, uh, you know, that would be very illuminating. Yeah. Well, yeah, you bet. I, first of all, no memos exist. Second of all, I wouldn't get them anyway. I'm, I'm a little lower <laughs> on the totem pole than you're giving me credit for. But, uh, you know, it is interesting, the conspiracy, right? I mean, you, we, you and I laugh all the time offline about the Twitter stuff, whether it's uh, people thinking I'm a homer for the Carolina Hurricanes as I sit here in Raleigh or wh- whomever it may be that I'm the game I'm actually calling at that time. Um, and, you know, if I call an Islanders game on national on a national um, broadcast, I understand why there's there's people that think I'm biased. Uh, I do. I work really hard to be right down the middle. But you also have these Twitter, these conspiracy theorists who do say that, that the league wants this or the league wants that or the refs want this. And, and you know what? I, I spend a lot of time, and I said this to you too when we weren't recording, I spend a lot of time with the refs on the road. We stay at the same hotels. I see them. They do a great job. They really do. Do I agree with all their calls? Absolutely not. And do I struggle with when I want to disagree with them on a broadcast? A little bit or a lot of it. Um, and Butch does not have that same struggle, but, uh, that's, that's quite all right. That's Butch goring for you. Um, but I, you know, I do think that they, they do a good job. It's a tough game. And and when I'm sitting down between the benches and I'm seeing it real time, and there was a play the other day in my series, Dougie Hamilton took a penalty with a minute and a half left in regulation of a tie game. And it looked like a penalty. And I said, it was a great call. And then we see it on the replay. And I thought, oh gosh, that was not a good call at all, in my opinion. <laughs> right. And we have the benefit of slow-mo. We have the benefit of replay. Right. And you and me and fans, we're looking at one team's side when I'm not working, right? So we're looking at the Islanders just from their perspective. So, you know, I, there there is not a conspiracy out there. If I get a memo, otherwise, I, you will be the first I share it with Arthur. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if there is a conspiracy for any Bruins fans that might want to hate be hate listening here, it is not to get the Islanders far. <laughs> this is we we love we love our Islander fans who listen and read the Athletic and watch MSG. But they are a small, powerful, passionate group. They are not spread all over the country in the thousands upon thousands like there are for the Bruins, the Rangers, or any of those other original six teams. So um, if the Islanders do advance, you can send all your conspiracy theories in and see what you see what we think. But uh, <laughs> they'll have done it on their own merits, not with any help from anyone. So um, good. have a good broadcast tonight. Game 5, Lightning Hurricanes on NBC. AJ and, and uh, another old favorite of the Islanders, Brendan Burke, will be there. So enjoy that. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. And then look forward to the big one tomorrow night at the Coliseum. 
That's right. We'll be there on site. Uh, game six, Islanders Bruins. Maybe if the Islanders pull it off in advance, we'll have another little mini pod uh, just for me since JJ will be traveling, but uh, still be able to break it down and listen to our post game analysis. And as always, thank you for listening. Uh, if Whatever platform you listen on, Apple, Spotify, wherever, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. It definitely helps us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic and read all our articles, that's theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont for the latest deal. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you soon.